Um, as, uh, as Brent said, to give you guys a little bit of background about what I'm going to talk about tonight, I've been taking seminary classes. I've been uh, doing online classes through the Southern Baptist Seminary at Louisville. Uh, I've been doing that since August. Uh, last semester, took a class that helped me interpret the Bible. Um, this semester has been a little bit different. This semester, I got to take a class called Intro to Old Testament. Um, I grew up in the Lutheran Church, so they kind of ignored most of the Old Testament. But um, I'm sorry if anybody hears Lutheran. I'm allowed to make fun of them because I grew up Lutheran. Um, but it really was, uh, most of the Old Testament was just simply used there as, okay, there was the Ten Commandments, you talk about the creation aspect, but there wasn't a lot of emphasis on it. So even a lot of the messages I've done here in the past, a lot of my devotionals that I've wrote, a lot of those things have always been focused on the New Testament, just simply because that's what I knew. Uh, that's what I've always read, that's what was easy to come up with, that's what was easy to dissect for me. Um, this class this semester has really opened my eyes to the Old Testament. It has... Um, it's just a very, very brief overview of each book, but even that brief overview opens up a lot of questions that allow us to go deeper. Um, I've got to do a book report that's due in three weeks. Um, I'd like to tell you I've started on it, but I haven't. Um, but I've read the first chapter. Um, the message today is actually on that chapter. There's a reason I haven't been able to get off the first chapter, and it's not because I just don't pick up the book. There's just so much there. Um, we're going to be in the book of Joshua tonight. We're going to be in chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. And I'll tell you now, we probably won't get through it all because I'm going to be long-winded on this. Um, there's just so much in these first nine verses that it can just compl- it can just keep being unpacked and unpacked and unpacked. Um, it just really stood out. I-, I think out of all the books we've done so far in the Old Testament in my class that I've been able to learn about and read about, this one so far is the one that's just really struck me as something that just has a lot to offer us. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to read here real quick for you. I'm going to read through 1 through 9, and then we'll get started. It says, After the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, who had served Moses. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now you and all the people prepare to cross over the Jordan to the land I have given the Israelites. I have given you every place where the sole of your foot treads, just as I promised Moses. Your territory will be from the wilderness... From the wilderness in Lebanon to the great Euphrates River, all the land of the Hittites, and west of the Mediterranean Sea. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. I will be with you just as I was with Moses. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you will distribute the land I swore to their fathers to give them as inheritance. Above all, be strong and courageous to carefully observe the whole instruction my servant Moses commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. So that, you may will, so, you, that, so that you will have success wherever you go. This book of instruction must not depart from your mouth. You are to recite it day and night so that you may carefully observe everything written in it. For then you will prosper and succeed in whatever you do. Haven't I commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let's pray. Well, I got to just thank you for allowing us to be here tonight, for allowing us to open up your word, Father, and to dive in uh, head first. And Father, I just ask that you speak through your word here tonight. Father, may the, may the meaning that's in there, Father, may it impact us. May we understand how it impacted uh, the Israelites at this time. But just as much, Father, may we figure out how it can impact our lives, Father, and how your living word can change us. Father, we ask this all in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, to get started, we've all been in, most of us here have been in some situation, whether it be because we were at work, whether we uh, grew up in the United States, We've been in some situation where a leadership aspect has changed. We've, we've been in some situation maybe where the leader that was there before was a phenomenal leader. And when that person leaves, it's oftentimes 
very difficult for whoever comes in behind them, regardless of their qualifications and regardless of how well prepared they are, simply because they're trying to live up to the foot into the shoes and the expectations that the person there in front of them has laid. When I was going over this this week and I was talking to my brother and uh, he talked about going through school after having an older brother there. And it, and it wasn't that I was some great person, but there were he was good in some classes and I was good in others. And there were expectations in certain classes because I had done well there that he should do well there. And it's just simply hard for us to come back behind somebody and do that. Um, in this case, we're going to talk about Joshua. We're going to talk about how Joshua was able to, or is in this part, being called to step into the role of what Moses had. But it's important to understand that the book of Joshua as a whole, and even this section here, even though it's titled Joshua, and we hear the word Joshua a lot, is not about Joshua. It's about God. Just like the rest of the Bible is, most of the stuff there that we read about what God has done in people's lives is designed to point us to him. It's designed to point us towards him and show us his characteristics, his, his personality, if you would, of how he can interact with us just as he interacted with them. Let's look there at verse 1 as we start off. Starts off with exactly what we're talking about at dinner after the death of Moses. Fred, that's inside joke for those who are sitting at our table. Um, but it talks about that you know after the death of Moses. Okay, this is important. It doesn't seem like it, but those five words seem important or are important. Okay, to understand the magnitude of what this means, we've got to understand who was Moses. Okay, most of us have, most of us have heard the story. Most of us have probably seen the Disney special. But, okay, Moses at this particular point in time was what most of us would say was the man, okay? Moses was, at that point, one of the greatest people that, that was to be alive at that point. It was going to be very difficult. He was a man that led the Israelites out of slavery, led them out of Egypt, led them out of pretty much certain death. This was a man that God talked to face to face. This was an extremely powerful, God-fearing giant of a person to step into their shoes afterwards. I want you to look. Let's read Deuteronomy 34, 10 through 12. It says, No prophet has arisen again in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He was unparalleled for all the signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do against the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, to all his officials, and to all his land. And for all the mighty acts of power and terrifying deeds that Moses performed in the sight of Israel. Okay? This was huge. But he's dead. So what's that mean? That means that our God is the same. That means despite the fact that this mighty man of God is now dead, God doesn't change. God's getting ready to put somebody else in his spot because God's going to work and God's going to do his will and work through whoever's there and he doesn't need us. He doesn't, his ability to fully bring out his will, I guess, does not depend on how good we are, how well we do something. God is not determined by someone's death. God is constant. He's constant all the way through this. He doesn't change. He remains the same. He is going to remain faithful and fulfill his promises, regardless of whether Moses is in charge or the next person is in charge. Okay, we start with this: this the fact that Moses is dead. Where he's dead is a promise fulfilled in and of itself. Moses didn't get to see, didn't get to walk into the promised land. He got to see it, 
But Moses had been disobedient when it came to uh, an aspect with giving water to the Israelites. And, and God had told him, you are not going to go into the promised land because of your disobedience. So he died right where God said he was going to die. He died there in Moab. Matter of fact, the Bible doesn't really tell us where he's buried because it said God buried him there. So we don't know where he's buried, but we do know that God fulfilled his promises. Moses was a servant of God. Joshua was a servant of Moses. There's going to be some trickle down. So in order to understand exactly where we're getting to on this, we need to understand what it means to be a servant. We need to understand what it means to, to truly be a servant of God. The Hebrew word that you're actually using here is called ebed. I won't really go into too much of a definition. It's simple. It means servant. But that's the Hebrew word that they would have used there. And the difference here is this is that when we think of servant, or oftentimes we hear in the Bible, we hear slave. And we think back to our own history. We think back to people being chained up or people being forced to do labor. Slavery was different at that point in time. In this case, a servant... If you look at Exodus 21, 5 through 6, you get to, as soon as I figure out, because I lost where I was at. I promise I've done this. Exodus 21, 5 and 6, we get to this point where, you see, you didn't have to be, it wasn't just about a servant. It wasn't just about being a slave. It was being that aspect where at some point in time, you could choose to remain a slave or a servant. You could become a bond servant in that case. And what that means is that when your time was up, and they got ready to release you as a free man, you chose and made the choice, the willful choice, to remain servant to that master. That's where we get at. That's where you see and understand this, is Moses wasn't, a, wasn't some slave that was forced into what he did. Moses willfully gave up what he had to follow God, to follow one master. To be a servant to that one master. See, we get to... Uh, you think about Paul. Think about how he talks about being a, a slave to... A slave to Christ. I mean, Paul was willing to give up everything to follow Christ. He was willing to, to solely and give his life... To the one true master. That's what Moses was to God. Moses was God's servant. So what are the characteristics of a servant of God? What do we have to look for? We know Moses was one. We know Paul was one. But what are some of the characteristics? Paul points them out in Romans 1, 8 through 12. He talks about thanking. He says, first I thank God through Jesus Christ for all you because the news of your faith is being reported in all the world. For God, whom I serve with my spirit, is telling the good news about his son and my witness that I constantly mention you. Always asking in my prayers that if someone in God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I want very much to see you, so I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. What it takes to be a servant of God is the willingness to thank God regardless of your circumstances. Paul didn't exactly have the greatest circumstances at the end of his life. But he didn't put Christians in the best of circumstances at the beginning either. 
but to take the time to be willing to thank God regardless of your circumstances. It takes the ability to be to serve, to, to give your time, your body, your money, your energy, whatever it takes to help further God's will. That means sometimes you have to wake up early to go do things you wouldn't normally do. That means when you feel God calling you on a mission trip and you just don't want to go because of some fears, we find a way to get past it. Pray constantly. You've got to be in a situation where you meditate on God's word, where you have that relationship with him. I've heard Brent, I've heard Dwayne and Dave talk constantly. You hear, you hear it all over the place about if you're in a relationship and you never talk to the person, what kind of relationship is it? You've got to be able to have that open line of communication. You've got to be able to talk. And he talks about encouraging people. He, wants very, I, he sits there and says, for I want very much to see you. So that I may impart in you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That desire to make others better in the name of Jesus Christ. That desire to build them up. To disciple them in such a way that they go from where they were at to a new level of understanding with God. And it's not you. It's you being the servant of God. You are doing His work. He is working through you to do it. You're simply a vessel, but you're being willing to do it. That's what it takes to do this. That's what it means to be a servant. These were the things that Moses did for God. These were the characteristics that Moses took the time to instill in Joshua. And these are the characteristics that God expects as he calls Joshua right here to come serve him. These are the, I guess you could say the, the rules. Here's, here's what you've got to do to be able to serve me. It was God calling on Joshua. See, Joshua's name means Yahweh is salvation. It's the Greek version of the Hebrew name Yeshua, which is Hebrew, is Jesus. I don't know if any of you have seen the Passion of the Christ, but when you hear them talk in Aramaic or Hebrew or whatever they're talking about at the point, they often you hear Yeshua. That's Jesus. Joshua was, as we said, a servant of Moses. You can see it in Exodus 24, 32, 33. He was the assistant. He was the military leader. He was the person that brought things to Moses' attention. When Moses, it says, the Lord spoke with Moses face to face, just as man speaks with his friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his assistant, the young man Joshua, son of Nun, would not leave the inside of the tent. Joshua was always in the Lord's presence. Joshua was soaking in everything Moses could pour into him. Joshua, Joshua was a mighty military leader. He was given the power to be over and he had many battles that he won. Joshua was one of two people strong enough to stand up in the face of many other people and say that the promised land, that they could take it because God was with them. And that was a big deal because just because, even they had 10, you know, 12 spies and you had 10 of them saying no, it wasn't just 10. You had the 10 people saying no, but they were representing the tribes. He was going against the crane. He was going against the crowd. He was in such good spot with his servant attitude that Moses gave him some of his authority and leadership. You see, we see Joshua was a great man, but still paled in, in comparison to what they thought of Moses. Big shoes to fill. Despite this great exemplary record, there was no way 
a man like Joshua was going to step in and be of the same status as Moses. So let's move on a little bit more and get down into verse 2. You hear it again. Moses, my servant, is dead. Okay? Look back. God's saying, Moses is dead. New chapter. New things are beginning. How many times do we live in the past? How many times do we get to a situation where, well, man, that's what we did. That's what we did before. Moses is dead. I'm about to give you a long list of things to do. Let's move forward. That doesn't mean forget about the past. That means remember the lessons you learned from the past to be prepared for the future. To be prepared for what God's about to do for you. He's pointing Joshua back and pointing Joshua forward at the same time. He once again emphasizes that Moses was his servant. He does this because he's about to call Joshua into the same service. And just as Joshua had served Moses, he was about to take over Moses' part and serve God. Moses was blessed because of his service. We've got Deuteronomy 34, 10 through 12. Where once again, that's the passage that talks about how great Moses was. He was a servant of, the God, of God and God blessed him. Because of it. Likewise, God is telling Joshua here to to prepare to get the land that God is giving them. In other words, prepare to serve me. Prepare to accept the gift I'm going to give you. It says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now you and all the people prepare to cross over the Jordan to the land I'm going to give the Israelites. He's going to fulfill a promise and he's going to give it to the people. But they need to be prepared in order to do that. We look back on what we've done here in the first couple of verses. God calls us into service the same way that he did Joshua. The same way that he did Moses. God calls you to prepare to serve others. You may not have a country like Israel behind you. But you've got a place of work. Or you've got a classroom. Or you've got your own house with people in it. And just as as Joshua was present during the ten plagues... And the, set, the parting of the Red Sea. And all of these things that God used to show Joshua that God was faithful and powerful. And had the ability to change lives. He's acted and worked in your life. I promise you. At some point if you look back, God is working in your life. He is preparing you for where you're about to be. We've got to be able to look at that. To learn from that. To take it in. To build ourselves up in the name of Christ. Let Him change you. So that when He calls you to service. You can step up with with being courageous. With being bold. And without any fear. A call. Remember. That a call to lead. Is always a call to serve. That's just the way it works. We get on to the next part here. We go from that part where God calls into service that we get into a part here now where we're going to talk about God promising his presence to Joshua. I see in verse 3, I have given you every place where the sole of your foot treads just as I promised Moses. He tells Joshua that he's given him every piece of land where the sole treads. What's that mean? I've been with you and I'm the one that's placed it there. 
I've been with you wherever you go. Wherever the sole of your foot treads, I have given you that land because I'm there with you. My presence is there. He's pointing out again as we read it, just as I promised Moses, pointing him back. Remember, I fulfilled the promises I told Moses. Remember, I was faithful. I did everything I told Moses and I'm going to do it for you. Just please, just trust me. Down into your territory will be from the wilderness and the wilderness in Lebanon to the great Euphrates River and the land of the Hittites and west to the Mediterranean Sea. No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live. I will be with you just as I was with Moses. I will not leave you or forsake you. He's telling Joshua the exact land that he's going to take. He lays it out. If he had a map, he would have taken a sharpie and drawn circles around it. This, this is powerful. This is knowledge that he's giving Joshua. Joshua is a military leader. And I promise you, before he can go take a land, he has to know exactly what land God's telling him he's going to give him. And exactly what land he's going to do. This is a promise that God gave Abraham in Genesis 15 that he was going to give him this land. It's the same land that Solomon would rule in 1 Kings 4, 21 through 25. He was fulfilling the promise he gave to Abraham. Once again, pointed out, I am faithful. I'm about to fulfill a promise and I'm going to use you to do it. Joshua was given these specific details. Laid out exactly how it was going to go. And knowledge is critical. I promise you, you're not going to be able to go to work and you're not going to be able to share the gospel with people at work, at school, at home, or on the streets if you don't know the Word of God. You're not going to be able to to fully be able to defend your faith if you don't know what your faith is. Knowledge is critical. And God gives you all of it that you need right here. It's spelled out. Black, white, and red. Telling you Everything he's been faithful for since the beginning of time. Telling you and promising you and shouting to you that just as I was with them, I will be with you. It's God's grace. Nothing happens outside of that. To be successful about what was about to transpire, something else was going to be needed. That's what he gets at and he expounds on in verse 5. We see a promise at the beginning of this verse, in verse 5, that no one will be able to stand against you. That's pretty powerful, guys. No one will be able to stand against you. Let that sink in. No one. Just like when he said, Jesus Christ came to die for all, for everyone who believed in him, he's saying here that no one will be able to stand against you. Think about that. Who cares if the guy laughs at you when you're sharing the gospel and, you walk, and he walks off? Who cares if the kid at school tells you that he doesn't want to be your friend anymore because you talk about Jesus too much? You've got God. They can't stand against you. Bold, courage-inducing statement for any military leader at that point to take. We also see in this verse God saying, Just as I was with Moses, once again, looking back, remembering what God's done. And it's what ends this verse that's the most powerful and well-quoted verses that we see. I will never leave you or forsake you. He's not going to leave. God is promising his presence to Joshua for all time. He is promising to him that no matter what, he will be there. We see the same thing. <coughs> Excuse me. 
We see this is the same thing Moses had told Joshua in Deuteronomy 31. He tells him to be courageous, that God will never leave him or forsake him. It's the same thing that God had told Moses in Exodus 3.12. I will not leave you or forsake you. He's repetitive. He's telling these people over and over and over again, let it sink in that I will not leave you. And if you've read any part of the Old Testament, you know that at this point, things aren't going well. They've had these promises since Exodus and they still can't quite grasp it. Hebrews 13.5 puts it best. And it's going to sound kind of funny when you first read it, but your life should be free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Sounds like a weird verse to be thrown in there, right? But what he's saying is it doesn't matter about the money. It doesn't matter about the house. It doesn't matter about your status symbol or the cars or your friends. It doesn't matter how much you're up here preaching, how much you're in the classroom teaching. It's about the fact that he's with you. Don't worry about it because he'll never leave you or forsake you. That's what he wants you to grasp a hold of. If you grasp a hold of that, the rest of it's gravy. There's bumps along the road because it's that lumpy gravy. But it's still gravy. So I just came up with that. That's not written down. Um, I'm a a food person. Talk to my fiance. Um, This verse has got far more commitment than earthly things. You see, you see, rather telling, rather than telling us that God's enough, God's simple presence is all we need. And as they sang earlier, Romans eight thirty one, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is with you, walk out that door with your head held high, knowing that Satan doesn't have a chance. Walk into work, walk into school, walk into your house, talk about the Word of God with your kids, with your coworkers, people you meet on the street. Guys, this is powerful. Don't keep that power to yourselves. We should be running out the doors wanting to tell everybody about this. And and it's we talk about it the fact that it's scary. Yeah, it's scary. But it really shouldn't be. I mean, if we truly grasp that concept of God being that all-powerful, all-knowing person that is in control of everything, and he's right here with me, what do we have to be afraid of? Other than our our own selfish desires of of fame and status and, and somebody making fun of us. Understand this. God's presence is the only reason and the only way that Joshua is going to take that land. It's not because of his military record. It's not because of his service to Moses. It's not because of his status symbol, the amount of people in his army. He's going to take that land because God is with him and God told him so. That's what they want you to grasp. Verse 6, be strong and courageous for you will distribute the land I swore to their fathers. Once again, strong and courageous. This is repeated again and again. Joshua repeats it to encourage his his troops in Joshua 10.25. David tells Solomon these same words in 1 Kings 2, 1 Chronicles 22, 1 Chronicles 28, Psalm 27.14 tells us to wait for the Lord and be strong and courageous. Wait for the Lord. And Psalm 31.24 states, 
Be strong and courageous, all you who put your hope in the Lord. If you put your hope in God, you have no other need. You don't need anything else. When he sent the disciples out, he didn't tell them to take anything. Why? Because they had his word. That's all you need. It is the hope in God and in his presence that allows us to be strong and courageous. It was what allowed Joshua to take the land that God was giving him. Now keep in mind here the word courage here. When we think of courage, we think of people that are on the battlefield. We think of shields or we think of people running into burning buildings. And that is the definition of courage. But courage here means to be daring. Joshua was going to have to be daring to walk around Jericho without weapons and trust in God. He had already been daring when he stood up to the, 12, to the ten spies and told them they were wrong and he could take, could take the land because God was with them. David Jeremiah says this, Sometimes it takes one person to stand up for righteousness and godliness. But if that is where God has put you, you'd better have the courage to make that stand. Amen. You see, and we'll wrap it up here. I won't be able to get to the third point. Um, I'll tell you this before we get in there. The third point, I'll post it on my Facebook site or somewhere so you guys can see the notes. Just as God promises his presence to Joshua, he's going to do this. He does the same for you. It's not I'm going to do it. He does the same for you. Okay? There's a verse in Hebrews and in Romans that tells us that God's all we need. And see, with God's presence, no one can stand against us. We live in a land full of blessings and a land full of spiritual battles. We shouldn't fear. And rather, we should stand with courage, with confidence, and know that God is with us. You see, Dale Davis says it the best in his book, Joshua, No Falling Words. It says, There is nothing more essential for the people of God than to hear their God repeating to them amid all of their changing circumstances, I will be with you, or I will not forsake you. No matter what's going on in your life right now, No matter if you're sick, if you're going through a divorce, if you're going through rough grades at school, if you're dealing with somebody picking on you or anything, God is with you. You are not alone. Don't think you go through any battle in life alone. God is with you. Take that, grab a hold of it, and run with it. So I'm going to end with this, guys. I'm going to end with an invitation of sorts. You see, God in this passage is called, promised, and given instructions. He's laid it all out for Joshua so that there's no questions about what to expect and what is expected. And he lays it out. And just as he laid it out here for Joshua, he's laid it out for you. Here in this book. Right here. We see a book of history. A book of importance. And a book that can save your life. You see, God may be calling you right now. God may be tugging on your heart. Speaking in the whisper that he does so often. And if he is. Listen. I cannot tell you enough. Listen to what he has to say. If he is, listen for the instruction. He's given those instructions to you. He's laid it out 
so that we know we're all sinners and we fall short of the glory of God. We deserve nothing less but a life separated from God in hell. But because of his love for us, he sent his son Jesus Christ down here to live a perfect life for you and for me. Completely sinless, yet willing to give up his life and die on a cross for you. So that three days later he could take his life and get back up out of the grave. With simple instructions so that you no longer have to be separated from God. Believe in me and have eternal life. That's all Jesus asks. He promises no easy life. He doesn't promise a life free from tragedies and suffering. But he promises you everlasting life with him in heaven. That's his promise to you guys. If you haven't accepted his call, I encourage you to. If you have questions, come find me. Come find Dave. Come find Brent. Go find a deacon. Find the person next to you. Let us explain it to you. Let us tell you how God has changed our lives and how he can change yours. Don't wait. Don't pass up his call. Because his is the most important one you want to take. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for bringing us here tonight. Father, I just thank you for for who you are, for what you've done, Father, for your presence, for your word, Father. Father, thank you for the call. Thank you for the call to service. Thank you for using us to spread your word. Father, we know we don't deserve it. We know that, Father, you don't even need us to do this, but, Father, you choose to do it. And we should look at this as, as an honor, to have honor to be a servant of you. Father, may we exit these doors and may we just lay down our lives at your feet, telling people, Father, that you're in control and that no matter what, Father, we'll follow you. In your son Jesus' name, amen.